This episode of Tales from the Backlog is brought to you by listeners like you. Some very cool people like Chris Nelson, the Top 3 Podcast crew, Zul Geek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Jill, Kieran, ZNA, new patrons Jacob from the Pre-Order Bonus Podcast, Matt aka Stormageddon, Randall Quiggle, Bryant Ross, and many more have gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson to support the tube and the shows that we do. Thank you all very much, and if you listener want to be like them, you can head to patreon.com slash realdavejackson. You will get some treats, and you will have my undying love and support. All right, on to the show. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about a game we played. My guest today is a friend of the show, co-host of many podcasts, including Fun and Games, Reignite, Screen Snark, and the host of CPOV Autographs, Metaverse Traveling Biblical Angel, Matt Storm. Welcome, Matt. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to yeah. be here. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, so it's good to have you on the show. And like I said, uh, you are the host of many podcasts. Some would say too many podcasts, but not me. Many, many, yeah. <laughs> many would say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I just want to give you a chance here to talk about um, any of those shows that you want to talk about, um, because um, I listen to fun and games uh, all the time. And when I go back and actually go replay the Mass Effect games. I'm going to listen to uh, Reignite along with my playthrough. So nice. um, I will turn it over to you to explain uh, your shows. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I am a podcast host, producer, and editor. I've been doing it for about a decade, and I have too many shows. Uh, I started doing it <laughs> with a uh, music review show that's now on indefinite hiatus, we say, because me and the co-host are like, oh, maybe someday. You never know. Um, but that spawned uh, CPOV autographs, which was Crash Chords autographs at the time, because that was the show it spun off of, which is just a, a mostly one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes me in a band. But it's a interview series at its core. It's inspired by, insert any interview show here of the years. And um, I've done some incredible stuff most recently as of when we were recording. Um, I interviewed Patrick Klepek, a games journalist yeah. I've been a fan of for a long time. Um, but it's just, it was honestly a show that I was like, hey, I want to interview people. I'm going to make an interview show. And, and Hell yeah. there it was. Um and then the other shows you mentioned, so Fun and Games is my video game podcast that I do with the incredible Jeff Moonen, and uh, it's just kind of started because we talked a lot about video games, and we we're like, well, let's talk about games, but we wanted to make a show that was focused on like the the positive side of gaming. We still talk about the issues and the problems in the industry, but we don't want to like bash and poo-poo on games, and that mm -hmm. kind of grew to another level when uh, we created a sub-series, we say, I say we, I created a sub-series where... Um, I wanted people to talk about games they love without judgment. The idea that, like, when we, you and I are both very active on Twitter, and very often when you tweet literally anything, people, you know, want to poo poo your good time. And uh, it was very important to me to kind of circumvent that and just give a forum for different guest hosts to just talk about a game they love and why they love it. A thing that you've done twice for us. And, um, 
that was important to me because like I <laughs> I can enjoy the hell out of a mediocre game and just cuz a game is mediocre doesn't mean it's not fun, good or can be your it could absolutely be your favorite. Um mm-hmm. and that was kind of the long line for side quests which is that show. Uh, also it was inspired by my first playthrough of Control which absolutely broke my little gamer brain because I just didn't <laughs> think you could make video games like that. Uh-huh. So, uh but then the other two shows you uh mentioned Reignite which is my currently Mass Effect retrospective podcast by the time this airs we may have moved on to another series because we are currently in our fourth season wrapping up mass effect andromeda andromeda as of when we're recording and that's all the mass effect games that exist as of now so where could we possibly go True. possibly another an bioware idea. series yeah. yeah possibly another bioware series in the vein of mass effect but yeah so that's a show that i do with my incredible co-host frankie bradley lestrange um they are a writer and a, a brilliant producer and podcaster and uh it was kind of born out of just our love of Mass Effect and wanted to talk about, well, what if we played Shepard as ourselves and then made choices as if we were Shepard in the moment, trying to live outside of the meta of the game as much as possible? And uh, it ended up gaining quite a following and people really love that kind of personal touch. And we carried that over into Andromeda, which I am playing for the first time. I didn't play when it came out, which has made for a very interesting experience. But Frankie knows the game very well. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of been a, this personal journey that's been really fun. And when you say that you want to play through Mass Effect while listening to the show, that's exactly how we designed it. And right. so I'm excited to hear that. It's designed for plays and replays. And uh, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts when you get to do that. And then Screen yeah. Snark, my last show, is a TV and movie podcast that I host with the incredible Rachel, Rachel Quirky Shank, who is a comedian and now wrestler, uh, which is new and is awesome. And uh, <laughs> the two of us bring a guest on every episode and talk about the most recent thing we watched so it could be tv show movie old new we go around the circle talking about it and then we interview our guests usually we've had people who are other podcasters actors directors you know creators of all kinds youtubers um and uh that show is mostly just goofs for an hour and a half us just poking fun at each other talking about cool shows that we loved or hate and uh yeah that's the basic pitch i could talk more but like then we that's just what the show would be is just me talking about the stuff i do i edit for the game informer show edit for a bunch of other podcasts on cpov i do a lot of stuff when i when i plug later i'll tell you where you can find all that stuff Hell yeah. Awesome. Well, for now, uh, I think it would be enough to say that um, everyone who's listening to this show, at the very least, you will enjoy fun and games and reignite because video games and good video games podcasts. And uh, yeah, good place to start. I really like the side quests idea. I mean, not just because you give me a chance to talk about games that I like uh, for like 15 minutes and not two and a half hours like I normally do. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I, I really like that. So um, I've done a uh, side quest episode about Shadowrun, a Dragonfall, mm-hmm. and about Disco Elysium. Two uh, CRPGs, which is weird because I don't play a ton of them. But just so happened that those are the ones I wanted to talk about. It's interesting. The The thing that I've loved about side quests is some are predictable. Like I, like I go to the person and say, you're going to talk about this. Like we recently aired an episode of, on Tunic, which Jill right. Grote did. And like Jill, that's all Jill talks about is Tunic. And like when I played it, Jill was like my personal trainer when I was like had questions or things. Or like mm-hmm. if anyone knows Wout on the internet, the hashtagonist, um, he, all he talks about is, is Dragon's Dogma. It's his favorite game. He's excited there's a <laughs> sequel. And so when, when I started the series, I just point blank asked him to do one. But I'm always surprised the games I pick. Some were expected, like I did one on Mario 64, which is one of the most important games in my childhood. Um, 
I did one on a fuser and I'm also a professional DJ when I still have the time. And so like that also made sense. But then like the very first episode, like I said, that inspired the series was on control, a, ga a game and studio. I had, I had never played a remedy game except I think the first Max Payne. Mm -hmm. And so like I had no experience after I played control. Then I went back and played Alan Wake and I played a bunch of other stuff. And so I think it's really fascinating to hear what games people pick and what games people truly love and want to like just gush about for 10 minutes. And it's also been a great way to bring in voices who are not podcasters. I've had a ton yeah. of listeners of the show who have like a dinky, you know, like Apple headphone mic or whatever. And then I just clean up the audio that they've done incredible episodes. One of my best friends, uh, Joe Mastropiero, who I've known my whole life and is not a podcaster, got to talk about a game he loved that he loved because of his mom who's since passed away. And like, mm -hmm. it's just those kinds of experiences is really why I did it. I love having other podcasters do it. It's great. But like when I can have a fan who wouldn't normally podcast do take that like forum to talk about it, it's really great. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. And it gives uh gives people a voice who would normally, you know, think like I can't be on a podcast. I don't yeah. you know, I'm not a podcaster. So just gives people a chance to talk about games that they love and um I really like that. And like I said, so uh preliminary recommendation before the big plugs at the end, um, <laughs> to check out Fun and Games, Reignite, uh Screen Snark if you're into TV and movies and CPOV uh autographs if you like interview shows. And uh that one with um uh, how do you pronounce his name? Patrick Klepek? Klepek. I've never heard That's his name correct, said yeah. out loud before, but I like <laughs> reading that guy. So yeah. that'll be an episode to check out for sure. Um, today, Matt and I are going to talk about Bayonetta 3, which is a character action game developed by Platinum Games and published by Nintendo in 2022. And my elevator pitch for Bayonetta 3, if uh, you have not played it, don't know what's going on, uh, I say Bayonetta takes on the multiverse. Matt, how about you? So mine is a play on that, and it's uh, Bayonetta and the Multiverse of Sadness. And if you're yes. a Marvel fan, you know where I'm pulling that reference. And it, like, it, it's it's multi-layered sadness for the players, sadness for the characters in the game because there's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's 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 layered. Yeah, much uh, <laughs> much more thought went into that elevator pitch. You might actually get some money from that pitch, unlike me. Um, <laughs> Spoiler policy for this episode, uh, if you've played a Bayonetta game before, you know that they have stories that are not the most spoilable things, uh, yeah. although actually I think this game has the most spoilable of the three Bayonetta uh, stories, um, so we are going to hold story spoilers for the end and uh, kind of talking about how we feel about the story, which is not something I expected to be doing when... Uh, I started playing Bayonetta 3, but here we are. So that's going to be the spoiler <laughs> section. And then maybe some shop talk, you know, things that just wouldn't make sense to people who haven't played. Uh, we'll save that for the spoiler section, but we will be able to get pretty in-depth on the game um, in the non-spoiler part for this. So getting into Bayonetta 3, um, I want to start out by getting our personal histories with Bayonetta and um, what made us want to play this game. And then also kind of... Um, do you have a history with platinum games or character action, Devil May Cry, stuff like that? So, uh, yes and yes. Uh, so, specifically, I have I have a history with character action games, and you hit the nail on the head. Devil May Cry was the reason I bought a PS2 um, and was the, one of the first games I played, and I was awful at it um, but because <laughs> those games are notoriously hard. But um, mm -hmm. I loved it. I've since loved the entire franchise except the second game. We don't talk about it. Um, 
but like uh, Devil May Cry 5 is one of my all-time favorite games. It's one of the best in the character action series. Um, but like I play Platinum Games Transformers game, which was really great, uh, mm-hmm. though I never finished it. Um, I've kind of followed Platinum Games for a while, but I haven't played every single one of their games. But I definitely do love character action games. I started near Automata. I still need to finish it. Um, and so like broadly, I'm a fan of these games. I don't like to play the more difficult ones and i much rather turn it on the easiest setting as possible and just have fun with the flair uh-huh. like i don't i don't need the challenge of like a grueling boss fight that's what i go to other games for like metroid or something for this i just i want to see the pretty colors i want to see like the yeah. cool weapons <laughs> um like in devil may cry 5 you get a guitar weapon it's literally a guitar nice. you get a motorcycle <laughs> that you split in half and uses like maces it's ridiculous um and then with Bayonetta more specifically, so I tried the first game, I guess when it came out, I think the original game was first on the 360. I think it was on everything, the first game. And then I think became, the first one was. Yeah. And so I played it, played it for like a half hour and went, this, what is this? This isn't for me. And then lost interest. I was a lot less queer back then also, which will matter. <laughs> um, whereas like then I, re- I, I heard lots of my friends, especially in the queer community, talking about how great of a character Bayonetta was and how much fun the character was. I liked playing as her in Smash Brothers. And so I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? These, all these games are on Switch. They're, they're discounted if you buy them together. Let's give it a shot. And so I played the first game, got about halfway through it on, I think, normal or hard difficulty, hit a wall and went, I don't like this game and stopped again. And then uh, at the end of last year, I was like, you know what? The third one's coming out. I really love the aesthetics of these games. I really need to try. Why don't I just put it on easy and see? And then I just blew through both games. I played them on easy. It was so much fun. Um, And I fell in love with the ridiculous story, the absolutely nonsensical characters, and Mm -hmm. the ridiculous narrative. And then the character action stuff is always fun if you like any of those other kinds of games. Um, and like I just I fell in love with the story. It felt so like over the top and flamboyant and queer and just kind of fun and funny. And so like I, I would say I'm a pretty big Bayonetta fan, even though I've not been a fan very long. But I loved those first two games, and so I was very excited for the third game when it finally got announced. Yeah, yeah, me too. So I kind of had a weird like intro to Bayonetta. I remember seeing promo. I don't know if it was ads or things in magazines. I don't remember. This was too long ago when the first game was coming out. And Mm -hmm. I remember seeing the character and being like, what the fuck is that? Like, (laughs) that looks really fucking stupid. I don't want to play that. And I was just the most wrong I've ever been about Bayonetta. (laughs) Um, So I didn't play the first one until when I first got my Switch. I actually went to the, uh, the used game store near me and they had the Bayonetta 2, Bayonetta 1 double pack. And I picked that up along with a couple other Switch games. And so I played those, absolutely loved them. And I think I picked them up kind of like you said, because I had played as Bayonetta in Smash Brothers. And I was like, she's cool, you know, check out the games. People say they're good. So I picked them up. I also really liked the first two games. And I'm also like you, I'm not a uh, high score chaser (laughs) in these games. I play through the game once. I don't replay the chapters uh, to try and get good scores um, I don't know if I, I've played both games on the regular difficulty. Um, and you know, if I play through a chapter and it's like, you get a stone medal, you piece of shit. I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Moving on to the next chapter. Yeah. Not, right. Not going back. Um, and then with character action, um, I think I have a little bit less experience. I've never played a devil may cry. Um, but I have played a bunch of platinum games stuff near automata, 
I've played twice now. I've played Metal Gear Rising like three times. I love that game. Uh, it until like a month ago it was the only Metal Gear game I'd ever played. Very <laughs> weird introduction to that universe. Um, and I I like the spectacle of these games. Um, I like how cheesy and stupid the stories are, and I like uh, just kind of the the flashy combat, having a good time, uh, fun music, all that stuff. So I think we come at this from pretty similar perspectives uh, to Bayonetta 3. So when Bayonetta 3 was announced, I was like, okay, automatic, definitely playing that, probably buying it day one, uh, depending on, you know, if it's broken or something, something we all have to keep a, keep an eye out for these days with new games. So, I mean, also, also the, there was a conversation at one point if we were even going to cover it because of some hubbub <laughs> on the internet that's, that's now true. long so- since blown over and is a memory at this point. Yes, um, I, I had written in the notes that the voice acting controversy briefly gave me pause about whether I was going to boycott the game or not. And that worked itself out within a couple of days. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> we did have a little text exchange like, Hey, do we want to maybe talk about a different game? But no, that, that worked out. Okay. Um, playtime for me for Bayonetta three, uh, my in my in-game clock says it was six hours. My switch says it was 10 hours. So just pick something between six and 10, not a super long game. Was that your experience too? Yeah, I don't remember my exact time and my switch is out of sight at the moment, but um, but it was quick. I, I finished it in a day, pretty much. I had started it, I think, the night last Friday, as of when we were recording, last Friday night, and then I then promptly beat it the next afternoon. I just played it straight through. Oh, mm-hmm. actually, not true. I got up to, I, I rolled credits, and then we're going to, there's some spoiler stuff we're going to talk about later, but I didn't realize that after the credits, there was something else. And so I literally paused it and then finished it the next day. But oh, I got right, through right, most right. of it in one day. Uh, so my my playtime was probably around six to eight hours as well. I'm also gotcha. a chronic uh, Switch standby person. Like, I don't turn uh-huh. stuff off. And so, like, me the too. clock just keeps going. Yep, me too. Um, so getting into some kind of opening thoughts here before we dig into the um, episode. Uh, this is by far my least favorite Bayonetta game. It is my least favorite Platinum Games game that I've ever played. Um, I think that playing as Bayonetta, like combat while playing as Bayonetta, is still really fun. And there are some issues with it that I'm going to bring up later, but it's still really fun. Um, The problem that I had with this game is that combat while playing as Bayonetta is just too small a piece of the pie in this game. They have expanded out in other ways and i don't like any of the ways that they made this game bigger uh so this is um feels to me like platinum kind of galaxy brained themselves out of what made bayonetta really great in the first place to me uh, in lots of different ways Uh, some of them we're going to talk about here and then some we'll talk about in the spoiler section so um yeah that's my opening thought here i had fun playing it but i don't think this is a very good game if that makes sense of course it makes sense you can have fun playing a bad game yes um i mean (laughs) i think that i'm gonna come at it a little more graciously i think ultimately i enjoyed the story and i enjoyed most of the gameplay i will agree that when you're not playing as bayonetta it's very hit or miss um we're gonna when we talk about the story i mean everyone knows that viola is a character in this game it's been in the trailers it's been in the Mm -hmm. announcements playing as viola i don't want to say is awful because it's not a lot of people have said that first of all as a character i think she's fine she's very textbook but like 
I found her kind of amusing. Um, the the problem is is that her controls are very different from Bayonetta, and if yeah. you like the fast paced dodging action, that's just not how Viola plays. It's not necessarily bad. It's just very much more deliberate way to play. Um, and so I, I agree with you. I think that this is definitely the worst of the Bayonetta series. It's probably the, one of the worst Platinum games games I've played. But I don't I don't think it's just flat out a bad game. I think it's more complicated than that. Mm. Yeah, we'll dig into that here um, after this music break. So we're going to set up the story here for Bayonetta 3. Um, before we talk about the story, though, um, I mentioned earlier that I first saw Bayonetta in some like promo art or videos or something like that. And I was like, what? What is she? But <laughs> quickly came to really, really enjoy Bayonetta as a character. So I just wanted to have a few minutes here at the beginning to just talk about Bayonetta and why, you know character action those are two words and like when i think about character action games i focus on the action part as like the key part of the genre but character action has these big characters like the devil may cry characters which i've seen very funny you know memes of uh, <laughs> they inspire that sort of thing raiden from metal gear rising is uh, a fucking weirdo um bayonetta is a huge personality and character so matt to you what makes bayonetta just such a a fun kind of starring lady. I mean, I think well, one, she's a lady and like a lot of these games star men or male presenting characters. And mm -hmm. like, so that alone is really nice. But also what I love about Bayonetta as a character, she's just so free and nonchalant. Like she's, she, she's very sexual without being sexual. Like she is sexualized, but she's also very much a character who is comfortable in her body is very much yeah. like, I personally don't feel like it's an objectification because it's very much leaning into the character and her sexuality is an important part of her whole character arc. It's not just a gimmick. And also she's just fun and confident and like very much a superhero, right? Even though she's yeah. a number of which she's sort of technically using hell to her advantage. So maybe arguably an antihero, but like <laughs> very much a character who just can do anything and is, is awe-inspiring. And the the way that she is, you know, Helena Taylor played her in the first two games. We were talking about Jennifer Hale playing her in the third game. Both actresses who have played this character very much lean into the, like, cockiness and the confidence. Mm -hmm. And, like, for me as a person who this may come as a shock, as a nerd, is kind of anxious, not always confident, <laughs> shocking, I'm sure. It's fun to play as this confident, I can do no wrong, I know I'm going to get this done character. Dante mm -hmm. from Devil May Cry is a very similar kind of archetype. And so that, I think, is a big part of it. And then just, like, I think it's how she interacts with all the other characters in the series, too, that makes her such a strong protagonist because she has such interesting and complicated relationships with each character. Like, she has a unique relationship with every character in the game. It's not just, like, everyone treats her the same. Like, there, there are levels. It's just... I really, I really think she is well, wonderfully written and interesting to play as and follow. Um, and the quips are, the quips are just wonderful. Yeah. My, my, like you, you nailed it when you said that she's just super confident and capable too. like, she, one of my favorite things about Bayonetta is how like she is in these 
just insane situations. Basically, the entire game, all of these games are insane situations. She is never any less confident about like yeah. what's going on at any point. She is always like, this is exactly like, this is my comfort zone. I'm cool with this. Um, the other part is something that I have taken issue with on this show, especially when it comes to female characters in Japanese games, is that Bayonetta is sexual, but she's not sexy in a way like right. she's not presented as like like we're trying to give dave a boner here with this character she's a very sexual creature and that is who she is like through and through and it's not in a way where it's just like yeah we're gonna just give her like the the most cleavage possible and just try <laughs> to get like all these boys or people into her it's um it's like a, a nuance that i just don't see in a lot of female characters in Japanese video games. And I've said as much on a couple episodes of this show uh, before. So Bayonetta is um, a character that I just think is super fun, super quippy, super sarcastic. Um, She doesn't take shit from anybody. It's a really just awesome character. And I think that this game does some things with her character that I think are bad and make me wonder why. Why would you make the changes that you made with her character? We'll talk about those later, though. Bayonetta in this game is a little bit more reserved, I felt. Uh, She's a little bit quieter. Um, She doesn't quip as much. And I wonder if there's a story reason, if it's because of a story reason that we'll talk about in the spoiler section, um, or if it's just because maybe they're like, maybe Bayonetta's older and she's seen more and uh, she's like, okay, you know, maybe I don't have to quip all the time. Kind of wondered why why that was in this game. Yeah, no, I agree. There's definitely a difference with her character. Uh, yeah, and I don't really think I can approach it without getting into the spoiler section, just because I think <laughs> yeah. I really think the story ties into it. I think that Jennifer Hill's performance ties into it, and not in a bad way. I just think that there are a lot of things happening that makes this character feel different in a way. And I think mm-hmm. that, but I agree, it's definitely not to the same level. She's not as confident. She's not as quippy as she has been in previous games. Yeah. And I I've heard it posited that like, she's not that way because platinum games, uh, didn't trust Jennifer Hale or like it was keeping Jennifer Hale on a shorter leash. And I, I just don't feel like they would pay for Jennifer Hale if they weren't going to let her cook. That doesn't make any sense to me. She's one of the most famous voice actresses working in the business there's no way that they were like she can't handle it because she's played such a huge variety of characters i just i don't i think that that can't possibly be the case yeah so um this game's story opens uh in a prologue uh where bayonetta is fighting this invading force that's going to be like the villains throughout the game uh called singularity and singularity is seeking to destroy all the worlds within the metaverse and in the opening, this is the opening cutscene. So I'm going to spoil this, but it's like, you know, five minutes into the game. Uh, <laughs> Bayonetta dies. She loses the fight. Uh, she's crystallized and then broken apart. Um, as the new character named Viola, who we talked about before, Viola sees it and escapes. And then we cut to Bayonetta alive, uh, but different somehow having fun with her personal manservant Enzo and their relationship is consistently hilarious to me. Every time Enzo is on screen, it makes me laugh, even though he's the shallowest character ever put on screen. I love Enzo. He's so funny to me. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. 
so Bayonetta finds out that singularity um, and this force of creatures called homunculi um, are moving from world to world, uh, metaverse world to world, destroying. So Bayonetta goes on the quest to stop singularity, going through the metaverse and meeting the many versions of herself along the way. Uh, which when I saw this in trailers and stuff, I was like, oh, this is sweet. I like Bayonetta. So I'm going to get to meet, you know, ancient Egyptian Bayonetta. Hell yeah, I'm into <laughs> that. I think this is the first kind of big miss I'm going to talk about here, though, because those other Bayonettas, you don't really interact with them. You don't get to fight as them. One of them gets more than 30 seconds on screen. There's kind of like brief story flavor and I thought this could have been a really cool metaverse angle to take because like we have so many metaverse stories now. Marvel is saturating us with metaverse stuff at the moment. So I thought this was going to be a cool angle to take and they like didn't lean into it as much as I hoped they would. Yeah, it was mostly an excuse to give you a different weapon and a different demon. And we're going to talk more about that later. But essentially, one of the big different combat things is you can control the demons that Bayonetta would kind of just automatically be part of her, her arsenal are now mm-hmm. controllable by the player, which which I actually liked, but is not – the answer is not that simple. But we'll get back to that. But like <laughs> – so like, yeah, and I feel like – I, I could have sworn we did play f- as those bayonetas for like half a minute, but maybe we didn't. I, that's the problem: is that the chapters are so. This game is only fourteen chapters. It's so condensed. Whereas, mm-hmm. like the other games, I think were twenty-one or twenty-six or even twenty-nine chapters. I can't remember, but it was definitely much bigger. And so, I don't, I don't mind the chapter story structure. I think that works for bayonetta. I just think it's very yeah. strange that this was so condensed. And yeah, you just don't get. You meet all these bayonetas, a few different genres, like. Um, even, you know, like a whole uh, different Lucas, like a whole bunch of different characters. And like, that's a great idea to see different versions of these existing characters. Like that's the fun of multiverse stories. But like, I don't understand why we spent so little time with them. It didn't make sense. Their design was awesome. I thought all of the different yeah. bayonetas looked great and all the different mm-hmm. worlds looked great and felt different. But like, it's just, they all felt kind of like flash in the pan, like cliche stuff. Yeah. And like I said, like you... For most of them, there's one of them that gets like a lot more time. But for most of them, you meet them, you see them in a cutscene, and then they're gone for an hour. Then you maybe you see them in another cutscene, and then they're gone forever. Yeah. And in my memory, you never get to play as them. There's one situation where you fight alongside them, I think. Yeah. But it, it's just very, very brief interaction with them. And it could have taken this into like a, an entertaining direction that only Bayonetta could have gone in, if that makes sense. Yeah. But as it turned out, this just turned out to be the worst, most boring multiverse story that I've seen in a while. And we've, like I said, we've had a lot of multiverse stories in the last like five years now. And this one just kind of was just kind of boring. I mean, Bayonetta stories are not traditionally like stories that are going to be super fun to follow along with you just kind of like you go through you see all the spectacle you see these wild cutscenes. you fight these crazy villains and there's a bunch of flashy stuff that's kind of the point but like this one just wasn't even that fun which was my thing here like it i like bayonetta stories because they're stupid and fun and this one was mostly just stupid i think (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I th- I don't think I dislike the story as much as you, but it definitely is tonally very different from the previous games. There are mm-hmm. moments that feel like the previous games, but all in moments, all, yeah. there are de- there's definitely a lot more drama here, um, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing if it were better written, but the problem is the Bayonetta stories are never really about the drama. They're about, like, over-the-top goofiness more than anything yeah. else. Yeah, and you, like you said, there are moments of that, that old Bayonetta, like... Um, a couple of boss fights where I was like, this is, this is the shit. This is why I'm here. But yeah. they were just too few and far between. There are some wild and over the top stuff. Um, and that's exactly what I come to a Bayonetta story for. But this kind of like brought up this idea um, with me and with um, a couple of people in the discord server um, who, who like these games too. And this idea that like, okay, your, your stories, your games are, traditionally not telling serious emotional stories that are going to like stick with you for the rest of your life. But that doesn't mean that you should not like care about your characters and like uh, be authentic to them and switch tones like this uh, just all willy nilly. I think Um, it made me feel like they suddenly they were like, okay, Bayonetta three, we're going to tell a story that connects with everyone emotionally and we're going to ditch most of that over-the-top goofy stuff. We're going to put it in sometimes. And it just really missed with me. Yeah. I think that the emotional story didn't miss with me because I enjoy the all of the characters. Mm. But I do think... I, I do know why people didn't identify with it. Like, I get why for some people it might not have worked. I'm also a sucker for more emotional stuff. I like emotional storytelling. Um, I like to cry when I'm playing video games, watching movies, and listening to music. So, like... yeah. That kind of stuff I'm into, but, like, yeah, it definitely, I mean, also, like, I have a soft spot for Luca because it's Yuri Lowenthal, and I love Yuri. Yuri's been a guest multiple times on Fun and Games, and so, like, mm. who, who we'll get into more, but has a very prominent role in this game, more so than the previous games, even though he's pretty integral to the first game, too. Like, he's definitely more of a feature in a way that he had not been before, which was cool yeah. to see, but I also think was still kind of misused. Um yeah, it's the story is sloppy. And I think if you don't mind a sloppy story, then it'll be fine. But like, I can see why other people might not like it, even though I kind of was like either nonplussed or enjoyed it. I was never like, oh, this is terrible. Get like skip the cutscene. But like, I can, I can, it's definitely, like I said, very, very different from the previous two games. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, the emotional story did not connect with me at all because I did not like, I don't like Luca as a character that much. Mm-hmm. And Viola was fine, but I certainly was not emotionally invested in her. She yeah. just kind of like shows up at the beginning of the game and you're, they, I think they just kind of assume that you like her right from the beginning. Yeah. And yeah, so she was fine, but the, the emotional story just didn't hit with me. And because they were going for that other tone, the fun, goofy, cheesy camp shit that I really like uh, was taking a back seat and that also was not for me. So yeah. Um, we will talk more about the story in the spoiler section um, because there are actual things that happen in the plot of this game, unlike like Bayonetta two. So um, <laughs> we are going to uh, listen to a little Bayonetta music and uh, get you ready to hear about gameplay.
So gameplay in Bayonetta is broken up into chapters, like Matt said, and each chapter has several verses inside. And there is a scoring system for each combat encounter, and your verses are kind of broken up into like one combat encounter, combat arena type thing, or sometimes it's like open world exploring or open level exploring with a combat thing at the end or individual verses to find. Uh, So we'll talk about the combat and we'll get into the other um, gameplay stuff. So combat in Bayonetta 3, um, if you played a Bayonetta game, you know exactly what to expect here from Bayonetta. Um, If you haven't, you know, it's very flashy combat, it's combo-based, it's score-based, and Bayonetta's thing has always been a couple of things um, that make her stand out to me is melee combat with combos, uh, using your guns not really to do damage, but to extend your combos, mm-hmm. and the witch time dodge, uh, which um, if you do a dodge with any sort of good timing. It's a very generous uh, timing window. Uh, Time will freeze, and then you can go just rack up damage, um, defeat a group, an enemy or a group of weak enemies, all while time is frozen. And the witch time dodge is what makes it so people like me can sometimes get a decent score in these combat encounters. It's a really, really friendly and really fun system. Yeah, totally. Uh, and that's exactly how Bayonetta plays in this game. Also, with some minor changes, but the the weapons are always my favorite part of these games and the Don't Make Cry games because they just they just level them up. And some of the weird wild weapons you get in this game are phenomenal and like mm-hmm. stuff they've never done before. Like you essentially get a weapon at, towards the end of the game that makes you a magic caster, makes you like a classic D and D wizard essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just the, those kinds of stuff. And also, what's interesting in this game is that um, Bayonetta can also transform into like like a demon form that's based on those weapons as well that are part of the combos and then you get like an ultimate attack um and all of that stuff is just a lot of fun to play around with and the different the different demon stuff like lends to this character and some other expansive stuff that they've changed all in all playing as bayonetta feels as good as it has ever felt um there were never really moments where i was like uh this doesn't feel like my bayonetta there right. there are some things that we're going to talk about in a minute that can can lead to that um and quickly about the scoring i will say i was bummed in this game in previous versions of bayonetta if you did like the easy mode or the story mode mm-hmm. you still could get gold silver platinum scores in mm-hmm. this game if you chose the easy mode they had these purple medallions and that you just got a basic re- award every time it was like they didn't score you they kind of gave you the participation trophy and that was the first strike against this game for me because like I don't care if I get a bad score, but I want to be scored. Like, right. That's why we play the game, these games is to get the different statues. Also, the statues are usually based on characters, so they'll say a quote or whatever. And like, then for the easy mode, I ended up playing on normal in this game, which I did okay in, um, because I was so annoyed that I wasn't getting actual trophies, even though typically I get between silver and bronze somewhere anyway, because I'm not great at these games with the occasional yeah. like pure platinum by accident. Um, yeah. <laughs> And and it was just a bummer that they took that out. I feel like that's leaning into the, oh, you know, babies play easy mode. And I just, I right. hate that. It's just so ableist and stupid. Yeah, it's a, like you said, ableist, but just really stupid old school, you know, video game philosophy there that if you play on easy mode, you didn't actually, you're not playing the real game like that bullshit. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. That's really fucking stupid. I hate that too. 
Um, I played on normal, and like you, I tend to get a bronze or silver on most levels um, with a gold every now and then. And then, like you said, every now and then I'll get through one and it'll be like, you know, you got pure platinum or whatever it is, like the the SSS yeah. top rank. And I'm like, oh, cool. How did that happen? That's <laughs> I'll never do that again. So yeah, that, that scoring um, on easy mode, that's a bummer. Uh, yeah. It kind of sucks. Um, the other part of Bayonetta's combat in this game, and this is new, uh, is they are called demon slaves, I think. And I'm good. Yes. That's going to be the last time I'm going to say the word slave in this episode. Um, but demon summons, uh, by holding L2 during combat, um, you can summon a giant demon and they come in all forms. Your first one is this big dragon and, um, you, that demon kind of takes the place of Bayonetta fighting in combat. And this is like a screen clearing thing. Uh, they, they have a meter that drains while they're out and, um, they can die if they get hit by certain boss attacks and stuff. So it's not like a invincible thing, um, but they are very, very powerful. Uh, really, really fun. The thing that makes them kind of balanced is that Bayonetta at least when she uses them, she has to stand still and she can get hit. And if you get hit, um, it will unsummon, uh, the demon. Yep. So these are super fun. Uh, they are goofy as hell. This is where a lot of the goofy, cheesy stuff went in this game, I think. Uh, so you start out with a big like dragon demon, but later you get one that's a frog that's really funny, or a train, like a literal train, like a steam yep. engine train. A it's very funny. Train. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's, uh, there's one later that's, I think it's a house or like a tower. It's a tower, like a clock yeah. tower. Yeah, it's very goofy. Um, they're really good in combat. They look great. The only other thing with these uh, that made them, I, I don't want to say like not fun, but when they're on the screen, um, they're so big that it makes what else, everything else that's happening on the screen really hard to see. Yep. And so the the good thing is that I use the dragon uh, most of the game. The dragon's huge. It takes up the screen. So if you're button mashing like I do, in these games, the dragon will be fine. It will clear out the screen. You don't really need to see what's happening. Um, but there were times when like I kept getting hit while the dragon was out. And I was like, I, I didn't know there was something there. Um, because <laughs> I was playing handheld on switch for the first, Same. like probably the first like two, three hours. And I got to a point where I was like, I, I can't see this is too small. And I had to find my dock. It had been so long since I plugged my switch in. I had to find the dock and I played the rest on a TV because I just needed a bigger screen, mostly for these demon things. Yeah, I typically play in handheld mode. Most folks who follow me anywhere on the internet know that I love portable gaming. I love laying on my yeah. couch with my handheld. Um, it's funny you said you couldn't find my dock. I know where my dock is mostly because it's how I stream when I stream my Switch. Mm -hmm. But like, I also never, never use the dock except for like moments while playing Pokemon recently. And I was like, I just, I'm going to sit on the TV. Um, but yeah, I like the demons. I think they're great. I love that you get to control Madame Butterfly, an important character to like the entire franchise. You get to now mm -hmm. kind of play as Madame Butterfly, which is really cool. Um, I, I think the demon summoning is fun. I think it's balanced that Bayonetta can get hit and is still kind of out there while you summon them. And also kind of true to the story, right? Because the demons are all mostly comprised somehow of her hair. And her hair comes off of her. And like when she <laughs> yeah. would do the major attacks in previous games, she would shout her, you know, a spell she would pose conveniently covering certain certain areas and then all her hair would come off and summon yeah. this demon. 
Um, and that sort of happens here, and that's why, you know, that's part of it. But, like, it was frustrating. Like, I would summon, and then she'd get hit by an enemy I couldn't see, and then I would have to resummon. And it, it definitely... I can see why people didn't like it as a combat mechanic. I did really enjoy it. I think it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with them too. I just like occasionally got annoyed that like this dragon is literally filling up the screen or like they do that thing where like the dragon is between the camera and what the other stuff you're supposed to see. So they do that weird transparency effect on it and it just doesn't work well enough. Yeah. But I had a lot less frustration once I moved to the TV and I just had a bigger screen to look at. Sure. Uh, but you will still never take away handheld switch from me. It, it will be, I mean, I know where the dock is now cause I haven't moved it, but you know, <laughs> next time I move or something, the dock's going to get left in a box. I just don't use it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we got the, uh, the demon summons and, um, this is the last part about Bayonetta combat is you're constantly kind of building up meters for stronger attacks Yep. And they're called climax attacks in Bayonetta because of course they are. Right. And uh, when you stun an enemy, you can do a quick little QTE for a um, kind of a, a finishing move. And then on boss fights, uh, you're building up so that you can do um, a double click uh, on the thumbsticks for these huge uh, cinematic killer finale moves. Yeah. And those are always entertaining I watched like, I don't even know if you can skip them, but if you could, I would never because they're so fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but you also have a note here that, and I'm going to read it. Platinum fucking loves wiggling the thumbstick QTEs. Yes, they do. And they need to stop. They've been doing it for a decade now. They suck and they need to stop doing this. And I, and I'm reading it because I agree. I think it's very funny that that's in your notes (laughs) because like, that's how all of these finishers are is you either have to mash the buttons or Or rotate. And it's just, yeah, I, 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 it depends on the day, whether I love quick time events or not that's what qtes are in case you don't know um which some people may not uh Mm. they are very common in character action games i think mostly they're fine it's when they like you have to do the button combo and can't watch the cutscene. that's a problem the good thing about bayonetta is while the the qtes sometimes suck they're over quick and then you can and like they're the setup for the cutscene, and then you get to watch the awesome action play out um yeah and those finishers are always awesome. You know, demons biting the bad guys in half or like ripping them apart or slicing uh-huh. and dicing them, like all sorts of cool stuff. The dragon often eating the enemies. Like it's uh, it, it's one of those things that I really like about these games. Uh, and they were just as good here. They weren't they weren't any different. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed them. The QTE thing that I wrote down there is the. Um, when you get stunned in combat, the way to unstun yourself is to do those wiggle the thumbstick QTEs like back and forth, back and forth. And it really bothered me because I played Metal Gear Rising. Um, I was just dabbling a couple months ago and that game has those a lot. There's so many of them in that game. And I was like, this sucks. I hate it. And then I played Platinum Games' newest game, still has it. They're still doing it. And I'm like, can you please just these suck. Um, <laughs> but the ones in the, like the finishing moves, they're a lot easier. You just have to rotate 
you're trying to build up like the power of the finishing attack. Yeah. But I don't think you'll ever get in a situation where it's like, I didn't rotate the thumbstick enough. The, the attack fails or something. You just don't get a, you probably don't get the pure platinum or something. I don't know. Right. You lose points and stuff, but yeah, they, I think they execute no matter what you do. Yeah. So that's good. At least QTEs are not the most, um, friendly as far as accessibility goes. Uh, most modern games will have options to either take away QTEs or at least let you like press any button instead of what's on the screen. And I didn't check the options, but Japanese games are not the best with that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, can't say one way or the other for this game, though. I don't want to call them out if they did do it. So, yeah, um, that is the combat. After each encounter um, or verse, you get a score and a medal. Uh, we talked about that earlier. I don't score chase. I button mash. I have fun. Yep. I have a friend of the show, Moonborn, who's a, a Discord stalwart, um, is a go back and get all the medals type of person. Uh, Moonborn has some long plays of getting all the pure platinums. Uh, so these games do support that kind of play and people have a lot of fun with it. Um, I suspect that this one does that just as well, kind of going through trying to get all these, um, but not for me. There are some optional challenge verses that uh, you can find. You'll know them when you see them. Uh, they put limitations on what you can do or special requirements like um, I don't know, like the floor is poison, basically, type <laughs> yeah. things. I hate these. I, I did a couple of them. I was like, these are not fun, and I never did another one the entire game. Oh, yeah, I skipped them all. I did, I yeah. think, the first <laughs> one because the first one was always pretty classically easy, and then yeah. after that, I didn't bother. I actually didn't love this game I, I like i said i think the game was fine but i knew yeah. that i i knew i liked this less than other games because i wasn't treasure hunting i didn't go look for all mm -hmm. the chests i didn't do these side missions like i just wanted to kind of get through the story to experience it i also waited till the weekend before we recorded to play it because it was felt like a homework assignment after a while because <laughs> it gotten so much bad press and i really wanted to play it at first and like then by the time i got around to it i'm like am i gonna hate it i'm worried about not liking it um and all in all i did have fun with it but yeah i i don't i people want to score chase and do these things i think there's a lot here i think there's a lot to sink your teeth into just for me i didn't i didn't really bother with any of it yep yep same um like i said i i did two or three like the last one that i did whether it was number two or three had requirements that i was like this is not fun and i Never did another one the rest of the game. So, yeah, uh, we talked about the enemies um, as they relate to the story. They are these homunculi, these kind of face faceless, uh, you know, humanoid things um, that you're fighting. For most of the game, your basic enemies are these humanoid ones. And um, these are another thing that I think are a lot less fun than the other Bayonetta games. I really like the biblical enemies that you're fighting in the first two Bayonetta games and these homunculi at least the basic ones that you're fighting a lot are faceless featureless forgettable I think yeah I'd agree I think the angels in the first game and the demons in the second game were a lot more fun a lot more interesting and unique um, the biblical angle was always a fun part of the whole narrative and it's yeah. kind of removed here like you can find one-off verses that have angels and demons but that's about it and you can actually get halos in this game which isn't the most predominant currency like it is in the other games um, mm -hmm. but for like special items and yeah it's just it like some of the bosses were really cool 
and like I think a lot of the boss fights and mechanics were kind of cool. But yeah, yeah, the the basic enemies just didn't feel as inventive. Like they would keep showing like th- so this game does what all the other games do where you see like they show you the enemy and tell you it's its name the first time you see it and then mm-hmm. like show a little like cutscenes like star wipe. And they were always very cool. It was like an angelic book in the first game, a demon like tome in the second game, and then there's these weird scrolls in this game. And like those intros were cool, but after a while, like several of them would look the same. And I'd be like, this is a new enemy. It looks like yeah. the last enemy I just fought. Uh-huh. So yeah. Cause they're all just this basic white and green kind of color palette. They don't have any of the, the metal, I guess, for lack of a better word, designs of those biblical enemies or the demons um, from the other games. Um, I, I wrote down here, this is what I thought. Uh, these homunculi were a modern day version of the fighting polygon team from Smash Melee, which is <laughs> not a compliment. No, and I can see that totally. Yeah, um, but you're right. The bosses and like the large, sometimes you fight larger ones that are like kaiju or something like that. Those are cool. I like the designs on those and especially the big bosses. I think they really saved a lot of their cool design ideas for those. And then they were like, you know, this combat encounter, you're going to fight 26 of these identical humanoid featureless enemies. And it was just kind of like, all right, I get it. Can we? And then sometimes, like you said, you do find those enemies from heaven or the enemies from inferno and they're so much cooler like when they come out i'm like there is visual design going on here whereas the other ones i maybe you can justify the homunculi by saying they're like clones they're you know mass produced etc etc but i don't really care about that i want to look at cool enemies while i throw them into an iron maiden made of my own hair you know right exactly (laughs) (laughs) So um, we mentioned Viola before, but you do get to play as Viola, uh, who's a new character. She is kind of like, I don't know, a punk rock uh, girl. She's got short hair, um, dyed pink, if I remember right. She's got all kinds of studded jewelry and stuff like that. You do get to play as her, not as much as Bayonetta, but it is a significant part of the game playing as Viola. Mm -hmm. And uh, Matt, you mentioned earlier she plays very differently from Bayonetta and I don't like playing as her that much. The difference is uh, her witch time is based on block timing instead of uh, dodging. And she fights with a katana and uh, Bayonetta can fight with just her fists um, or with a bunch of different weapons. And Viola's katana feels very stiff to me. It feels like uh, fighting as Geralt in The Witcher 3, you know, very yeah. stiff prescribed motions uh, with her, whereas Bayonetta is super like free flowing. And I just didn't didn't really like it um, in comparison. Yeah, I, I think that um, I think that she's not a bad character to play as. I think that she is too different for this game. I think that there is a game in which Viola was the main protagonist that you could kind of adjust to her play style. Um, mm-hmm. I do like that when she summons Cheshire, who her sword becomes a giant Cheshire cat that can mm-hmm. fight kind of kaiju style. Um, it's free running. It's auto control and you can yeah. still fight barehanded, which was fun. Um, but if you get hit, he still disappears, which is a little annoying. Uh, Viola got a bad rap online. A lot of folks saying that she's a terrible character, and I don't, I don't agree. I think that she's a very cookie cutter character. You're right; she's like a punk rock chick. Like 
like I say that phrase specifically, not a punk rock woman, but a punk rock chick. Like what you see in these mo- in movies and TV and comic books. Yeah. Like she has mm-hmm. that look, very much cliche. But I think when you get to see some of her character, she's goofy and she's funny. She's inexperienced. Like I think there's fun to be had with her character. I think she was in the wrong game. I think she should have had her own game, <laughs> not be in a Bayonetta game. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I think her- that's coming, by the way. I think she is going to get her own game if we can believe the rumors and what uh, Hideki Kamiya has been talking about. Well, and also when we get to the spoiler section, there's more leading to that, too. But like, right. And and I'm not against it. I just think that it's she's got very different combat. Like she didn't get different weapons. Maybe if she got different weapons and like her playstyle changed like Bayonetta's does, because like most people don't use the basic weapon after like the first or second chapter because you have all these other cool wacky weapons that completely mm-hmm. change up bayonetta's attack style long range short range guns magic spells whatever else fighting with a giant door like all all, <laughs> all, all sorts of stuff and like they just didn't give viola that i think they did too little with her i think if they went a little further with her and her combat made it more stylish more interesting there could have been more to it um but the character assassination of like they just they hate her because she's different I don't like, I don't vibe with that. I can get not liking her combat. It is very different from Bayonetta, but it mm-hmm. bums me out when people are like, oh, she's a bad character. The writing's not great, but I think as a character, she's fine. I think it's the story that she's wrapped up in that makes it more challenging. I think there is a, um, I think there is value in having a character that is kind of wants to be like Bayonetta, but is not, does not have the experience or the confidence that Bayonetta has. Uh, which Viola clearly doesn't, uh, but you're right. It's just kind of like you know, she she doesn't get a lot of character moments, and you know, Bayonetta writing, it's just not not going to fully develop a character like that. I don't think. And yes, I don't think she's a bad character. She's just kind of there as a character um, in story moments, and then her combat, I got used to it. And there are some very fun boss fights late in the game where Mm -hmm. you're fighting as Viola. Um, I had a really good time with some of those, but a lot of the times when I was controlling Viola, I was just thinking like, I would rather be playing as Bayonetta, which is, this is a Bayonetta game. Um, They did a lot to mix stuff up in this game. And Mm -hmm. for a lot of it, I was like, I just want to be fighting as Bayonetta, please. It's it's tough to do that, right? Like famously, of course, Devil May Cry Four had Nero, and people were like, oh, "I want to play as Dante. Why am I playing as Nero?" But right. I actually happen to like his combat and the grapples and the different stuff. And then in Devil May Cry Five, there was uh, Nero, Dante, and V. But V's style was so like the, all of those characters are so drastically different. That's why I think that it was a win is because they did such different things with them. Viola is not that different from Bayonetta mechanically fighting wise, but the, the, the block is different enough that it screws you up if you, cause which time the dodge doesn't operate the same as the block. The block is way more precise. The window is much smaller. Like mm-hmm. Dark Souls fans would probably love it because it feels. <laughs> more precise like those kinds of blocks and dodges are and Mm so i think that's where the real struggle is is it's just they weren't different enough they were similar enough and then there were these tiny differences that really kind of threw me at least when i was playing kind of out of whack yeah
So there are some other gameplay um, things that you're doing, like when you're not fighting, for example, uh, this game has a much bigger emphasis on large open levels that you can explore, uh, lots of collectibles to find, lots of scenery to, or like trees or whatever, to break and get uh, little currencies. This game has like three to four currencies, which is wild to me, completely <laughs> unnecessary. Um, <laughs> uh, there are puzzles to do, platforming, things to chase uh, around, you know, catching animals to collect the three animals in the level and get a power up, etc. This is one part of the game that I think is, in my opinion, not just me not liking it. I think that this game engine is really rough for things that are not combat, uh, especially yeah. when I'm talking about platforming. Platforming is just so hard and imprecise. It's not fun in this yeah, game. I I think depending on the weapon you have equipped also changes your platforming like because mm-hmm. you can transform into different demons that operate differently. And like when you get a weapon that gives you the spider demon, you also transform into like a spider, a Shelob style kind of like Shelob, the video game version where they yeah. made her like attractive, which was dumb. Um, but that kind of version, like woman on top, spider body. Uh, and you can like kind of web swing a little bit. And like that made traversal mm-hmm. fun. But the minute I started using different weapons, like the puppet or the train, like those traversals weren't great. They were kind of finicky and hard to control. And then traversing as Viola just wasn't fun, even though she had a grappling hook. Like it, it just didn't mechanically work the same. These games have always required platforming of you. But like, the previous games, Bayonetta had like a double jump and I think even a triple jump and they were all very forgiving, right? Like you had a large arc, you had a lot of in-air control. I just mm-hmm. felt like that wasn't really the case this time around. Yeah, um, I I felt like platforming was, it was very hard for me to judge where I was going to land in these. And a lot of the platforming challenges take place over bottomless pits. Yep. So uh, a couple tries where I'm like, I feel like I made the jump and I just like couldn't figure out where I was going to land. And then I fall and die and I have to restart somewhere and like run back to it. Do that to me too many times and I'm just going to stop doing it. Um, yeah. And that's what happened in this game. Same. And I, the, the emphasis on this um, really felt to me like they were trying to make an open world Bayonetta game, realized that was too much. And then they were like, okay, well, we're just going to have, the levels are going to be very open and then you're going to have time to explore, get collectibles. And then when you run into the combat arena, combat will start. Uh, so did you end up collectible chasing, doing any of these, uh, you know, chasing the animals, anything like that? No, I didn't really do much collectible chasing. Like I do a little in the previous games, like the things that increase your health or your magic or whatever, but I really Mm -hmm. didn't do it here. I think part of it was my lack of patience for the game itself at this point. Also, like, it's interesting. In the previous games, there were explorable areas, but there were kind of hallways. There'd be offshoots. Yeah. But more or less, you were on a rail, and then you would, like, turn down an alley or go off a cliff in this direction. Here, they were much bigger, especially in the area, the island you were on. I can't remember the name of it, but where, like, the hub for where you went to these other dimensions. These are Mm -hmm. multiverses. And it just, yeah, never felt quite cohesive enough. And, like, I, I, this is the same year that I played Sonic for Tears and freaking loved it. And, like, those areas and islands weren't that cohesive either, but they were fun to explore. And I think that's the problem with this Bayonetta game versus the others is because they were kind of more condensed. They were fun to jump around and explore. Whereas here, they were just big enough that I feel like it was kind of a trial to get to point A to point B and to, like, really explore in a way that was effective. Yeah. 
they definitely wanted you to make stops along the way to go after these collectibles or do these challenge verses or any of these kind of puzzle things that you have to do to get a reward. There's this thing where you you go up to a scene and time is stopped and you have to like rewind time to the right point and then platform up before time starts again. They really want you to stop and do all that stuff because if you don't, it's a long like straight run from combat to combat, um, I felt like. And yeah, just just didn't have a whole lot of fun uh, with those. Um, The final few chapters of the game are a lot more like an old Bayonetta game, and I enjoyed them a lot more. I think it's a pretty direct uh, correlation there. Uh, Just makes me not, I mean, not this is Bayonetta. I'm not worried. I'll be fine. But makes me hesitant that they're going to like try open world Bayonetta again and just make this bigger with more stuff without making it more fun. So yeah, I, I, I we'll we'll talk about it more in the spoiler section. I kind of don't know what I would want from the next one, uh, yeah. But but I have some ideas. But we'll get to that. Right on. The other things they do to mix up the game so it's not all combat are lots of like different gameplay variations, or at least you know camera variations, etc. There are uh, sections where you're you know riding on one of these demons, doing escape sequences, or doing chase sequences. Or um, there are some like big 2D side camera kaiju fights. Those are fun. There's some rail shooter sections, a lot of stuff to mix it up. There's a famous like motorcycle section, I think, in the first Bayonetta game that Mm -hmm. was like infamously like rough, like hard to control, hard to get through. Um, I had a lot of fun with a lot of these like kind of alternative gameplay sections in this game, though. Yeah, I didn't mind any of the demon-related ones, the boss battle-related ones, the escapes and stuff. They were all fun enough. The kaiju battles were great. Like, they weren't... Yeah. I thought they were great. They were nothing to write home about. Like, they were these slow-paced 2D side-scrolling. If you played, like, a bad Godzilla fighting game, which there are a few, um, it's kind (laughs) of like that. But I was very good at them. I don't know how. I just was. Like, I often pick the right move at the right time. But... They, they, all of them are nothing to write home about. They're all things that are done better, more broadly in other games, but they were right. all fun. None of them were bad. It's not like No More Heroes where you're doing side jobs, collecting coconuts, and you're really bored. Like all of these <laughs> side things felt fun and didn't, they, they, they felt as, as you, uh, cohesive to the game as like when Final Fantasy VII had like the snowboarding section and like the little mm-hmm. mini games, like all those mini games felt cohesive to the story in the world and these do too right yeah um like i never in a moment went this isn't bayonetta like i was like oh this is stupid this is great i love it yeah it's perfect this is this is bayonetta yeah Yeah. (laughs) um yeah i had a good time those uh especially like you said those kaiju fights were a lot of fun they're super simple like once you learn how to do them you'll like never lose one again but they're they're big they're huge kaiju crashing into each other and like knocking down skyscrapers. It's a good time. Yeah. So yeah, I really enjoyed them. The other uh, kind of section that will mix it up um, is there's the other character, Jean, who we haven't really talked about much. And that's because she is not really involved with Bayonetta's story uh, for a while in this game. She's doing her own story and this is her own game. Almost. It is a 2d stealth game kind of, I put stealth in air quotes because you don't have to be super stealthy. They want you to be, but you can just fight everybody. You'll be fine. Yeah. 
How did you feel about these Jean sections? I hated them. And it's a bummer because I love Jean as a character. I think she's great. She was such a great antagonist in the first game, such a great ally in the second game. And she's kind of relegated to her own separate story until like the last chapter. Uh-huh. And like I hated the 2D stealth stuff. I mean, also I famously hate stealth games, unless you're making a Batman game, in which case the stealth is really good, a la the Arkham games, and then I love right. them, but still struggle with them. I hate it. Like I, I never played the Metal Gear games because I played Metal Gear Solid One for like an hour and was terrible at it. Like I just don't like being stealthy. I'm too clunky and awkward to be stealthy as a human being. So uh -huh. like <laughs> in games it doesn't work. And like so I didn't love this. I will say that like the the vehicle section in the Jean story and the boss rush, those were both fun. They were an interesting take on doing like a side-scrolling 2D fighting. They weren't great, but they were more fun than the two stages that were just straight like side-scrolling stealth stuff. Like I just, uh -huh. I didn't enjoy those as much. Yeah, I, I'm sorry I kicked to you first. I thought you, maybe you were going to say something nice about them. I think these are <laughs> terrible and yeah. I didn't want to just like, you know, talk shit about them and then like, make you try and defend it. But <laughs> I, I hate these. I wrote down, this is shitty Mark of the Ninja. Yeah. Which is a really good 2D stealth game. These are awful. Again, the the game engine is just not that good for this kind of thing. Um, 2D platforming is surprisingly hard. Uh, you have a double jump and everything, and it's still just like kind of imprecise. It just really left me with the feeling that this game engine, if you're not doing combat in 3D, is just not supporting other types of gameplay uh, unless it's a big scripted you know kaiju fight like we talked about before these were awful every time one of them came up i was like oh god another yeah. one the only good thing about them is the only nice thing i will say about them is that you can do them in five minutes or less they're extremely short yeah uh, and that's if that's the only nice thing i have to say that's not great <laughs> and this is also sort of a spoiler, but not really. They have their own credits section. So like this was clearly, this was, I think was designed by a separate team. Like it was kind of felt like a game within a game and they were, they weren't part of the main chapters. They were side chapters. And like, look, giving, I would love a Jean spinoff game. Are you kidding? I think that'd be great. She's an awesome character, but like, I just, this was not it. This was not the way to do it. And yeah, nobody coming to these games wants to do the 2D, like a 2D stealth game. Like this is about bombasticness. That's why the mini game stuff, the ride the demon stuff works because even though it's different perspectives, different control schemes, different characters, it's all still over the top, constant yeah. action or constant engagement. It's not, it's not meant to be quieter and smaller and like slower. It's just, that's not what Bayonetta is. And it's a bummer that one of the better characters in the franchise got relegated to this for the whole game <laughs> until like the last chapter. Yeah. Bayonetta gets her combat arenas. She's riding on demons, uh, doing chase sequences. Uh, Viola's doing combat too. And John is, is like hiding in a bathroom while a guard walks by. It's just... Yeah. There's some humor in those sections too. I guess there's another nice thing I can say. There's some fun, like you can hide in a shower and John will take a shower and a guard will like go to investigate and she'll be like, what are you doing in the shower? And she'll beat the shit out of him. So that, yeah. that's, that's fun. But you know that I really hope they don't make this into its own game. That would be a huge bummer. Yeah. And a waste of resources, I think. <laughs> I agree. And totally not a thing that Platinum really does. I mean, I haven't played everything that they've made, but I've played a lot of it. And this just feels so counterintuitive to their whole ethos. Yeah, there's a couple, like in Metal Gear Rising, there are some 
very vestigial stealth elements to it, um, like rescuing some hostages or something. But it's just, it's really hard in that game too, because the game engine is built for you to run quickly and fight stuff, uh, not to sneak up on people. So uh, not to belabor this point, uh, let's talk about um, how this game looks and how it sounds. So um, I talked about, we have both talked about the kind of bombastic, uh, over-the-top nature um, of these stories. And visually, it's presented that way too. Cutscenes are a ton of fun. Um, I wrote every one of these cutscenes would make an Ar- a Marvel audience in a movie theater like clap and scream. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I like Marvel stuff. Uh, these are really entertaining cutscenes. Um, so every time a cutscene started where there's like, you know, a an ending to a boss fight or a chase or something like that, I was into it. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, all the cutscenes are great. The voice acting is great. Like the performances mm-hmm. are great. Everyone is playing the character they, they were hired to play uh, 100%. And I know we're going to talk about the voice acting more in a bit, but like all the cutscenes feel like this is what makes Bayonetta Bayonetta is the ridiculousness of every one of these moments. Mm-hmm. There are quiet moments too, like at the beginning of Bayonetta 2 when she's shopping with Enzo or even in the beginning of this game, she's riding around with Enzo, like Enzo being her, her uh, you know, her her sidekick her, her her grocery carrier you know yeah like uh indentured servant like however you want to put it butler <laughs> and so like it's just it those those moments are always so fun you know uh all of these characters are done really well and it's the spectacle of those cutscenes that always make them entertaining um it is a bummer that like the nintendo switch which not to belabor the the graphical problems with the Switch because they don't often bother me, but they were noticeable right. here. And I'm coming off of playing Pokemon, which I loved the new Pokemon game, but had so many graphical issues. Unfortunately, Bayonetta 3 didn't escape it. Bayonetta 1 and 2, of course, were designed for last gen, so they ran like a dream on the Switch. This game mm-hmm. being, de- being, you know, developed for the Switch runs into the same issues that a lot of non-first-party Nintendo titles and even some of those now have yeah. uh, of just kind of stuttering and not always being smooth, you know, running into issues. And it, it, and that was a bummer. And you only saw it every so often in the cutscenes. It was more in like combat and stuff. But it, it's just it's a bummer when that stuff takes a dip. Yeah. I- interesting. I didn't I didn't have many like slowdowns or stuttering troubles, but this game did get super pixelated mm. uh, from time to time where they were obviously it's like we are trading resolution for keeping the frame rate steady. Um, and that is a, like you said, it's a shame. Um, I am also with you. It does not bother me on switch that we have lower resolutions and lower frame rates. I play my switches. I have a, a nice gaming PC. I have a PS five. My switch is my favorite gaming thing. I take it to work with me every day. I love it. And it's just been in the last three months. I've started to play a couple games where I was like, Ooh, the switch is, is getting old. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I will fight, though, that, like, the Switch is getting old, and I agree, but, like, I'm playing Persona 5 Royal on this, and it looks like yeah. it's running at 60 frames per second. It's definitely not, but it's such a stylish game and running mm-hmm. so smoothly that it feels like it. At least I don't think it's running at 60 frames per second, but, like, there is definitely been more games recently that have seemed to... It's why I'm hesitant for the new Zelda game, because, like, Breath of the Wild yep. never had any issues but it was at the early end of the Switch development and famously, of course, came out for the Wii U. 
yeah. this is being <laughs> developed solely for this, and I'm I'm hesitant. But I but I'm with you. Like graphic issues don't typically bother me because that's not what I'm coming to the Switch for. I'm coming to it for a cozy kind of lie on my couch with it in my hands mm-hmm. experience, and I will take the graphical limitations that go with that with without issue because if i want to play something graphically heavy i'll get my steam deck which and then will die in an hour because it can't handle the battery life but you know like right. like th- there are other options you mentioned the ps5 like and, and bayonetta for the most part i will say bayonetta 3 mostly always looks great and always runs great it had minor issues nothing as bad as some other games that have come out recently yeah, for sure. It, it's it's just been a couple games recently. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 had some times where I was like, I wish I was playing this on something else. And uh, Bayonetta 3 also uh, famously like made me find the dock and plug in a, uh, one of my old TVs <laughs> to, um, to get it. The other thing about the Switch, not to go too long on this, but like I have a, a 4K TV and I don't want to play my Switch on it because it, it looks bad. It'll look bad. Uh, so yeah. I've I luckily I have a 1080p TV that I can plug the switch into and Bayonetta looked better. Um, it didn't get as pixelated as often, uh, when I was playing it on the TV, but I have some, um, even some videos I saved where it's like, like the ending of a cutscene will just go like pixels, which is not great. Um, and I also feel the same way, a little bit nervous about tears of the kingdom. Um, just knowing that they are, I I don't want to say they're like not going to try to optimize it for the switch. Cause of course they are, but now we have a much longer track record of games struggling, even first party games like, like Pokemon. So right. now, now to be clear, Pokemon's a first party game, but it's made by game freak. Whereas right. like n- the games that have been made by Nintendo, Metroid, Kirby, Mario, none of them right. have had that issue so far. Mm-hmm. True. So, so, so I am optimistic. Like Me- Metroid Dread ran beautifully, and there's sometimes yep. a ton of stuff on screen, and I never had an issue once. Um, yes, it's two D side scroller. It's a little different, but like even the three D combat cutscenes were, were were smooth as butter. So, I have more faith that that Tears of the Kingdom won't have that issue. But I am definitely like you, nervous for the first time about it. Kirby, I never had that issue. Kirby was gorgeous from start to finish. But that said, third party studio within Nintendo worked on the. Link's Awakening remake, which was great and probably one of my favorite 2D's top-down Zelda games, but had slowdown, ran, had issues. Like, we'll see. I, I'm grateful yeah. that Bayonetta didn't really, um, but but it was definitely still more noticeable than the first two games, which were designed for previous generation. Yeah, 100%. The voice acting, uh, I was going to try and make a transition there. Something that didn't make us nervous, uh, but it did uh, a while ago, was the voice acting. Uh, we talked about it before. You mentioned it a couple minutes ago. I, I also think the voice acting is really good. I think Jennifer Hale did a great job. I could not tell the difference until I actually like pulled up a side by side, and I was like, okay, there's you know, a native accent versus someone doing an accent, you know, that kind of thing. You can tell, but if you don't go searching for that, you will probably not notice a difference. And if you do, it's not a bad difference. She did great uh, with what she was given. But again, I like I said at the top of the show, I think Bayonetta is just less fun as a character this time. Not Jennifer Hale's fault, just I think that's what she was given. And everyone else does a great job. Like I said, I love Enzo. He's hilarious. I wish this game had more Enzo. He's <laughs> absent for too much of this game. Um, same with, uh, I forget the guy that runs the shop, uh, the Gates of Hell. I forget his name. Oh, it's escaping me also now. I want to say Ronan, but that's not right. 
Um, I uh, sounds good enough. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I like um, I like his voice actor too. Uh, all of them, they they do good, and the music is really fun. Uh, Bayonetta games always have fun music. Uh, this game, I feel like, introduced a bit more of like a, a pop punk type music, uh, especially with violas sections. I really like it as someone who is never going to stop listening to music that was made in 2002. Totally my shit. And then a lot of the more like choral church, not gospel, but like church sounding music um, is also super energetic, really fits the tone. I was really digging the music throughout this game. Yeah, same. Um, I I love the voice acting and the music, as I mentioned before. Friend of the show, of my show, Yuri Lowenthal, I can say that. Um, Hell yeah. God, that's so weird. <laughs> so weird. I love him. Yuri, if you're listening, I adore you. Um, he's he's genuinely wonderful, but like always great as as um, Luca, over the top, goofy. Um, uh, Ro- Rodan. Rodan is his name. Rodan. close. Okay, um, gotcha. But uh, like that whole cast is always great. They always do such a great job. Um, and then like even the demons have some really cool voice actors doing great voice work for them in their small moments. Um, you know, I even think Anna Brisbane does a really great job as Viola. Like she's really expressive. She's awkward and goofy. Like I think her cutscenes are mm-hmm. like all of the acting issues have nothing to do with the actors. I think it's Agreed. the writing. I think it's where the writing that suffers. The writing was just so tongue in cheek and kind of. Um, like so self-aware in the first two games, whereas they try to hit a more serious tone here and some of the acting suffers for it because the writing is so poor. Um, but but I agree. I think the voice cast is great. And then the music, you can't have a good character action game without good music. Like the heavy metal mm-hmm. and Devil May Cry is why that series rules to run through. And this yep. is the same, like, you know, some great pop, uh, some great punk, some great pop, some like, even at, like, the credits music we'll talk about it more later but stuff like it's just all of it is is really great um it it has a style that is so uniquely its own um but is still very much fits within the pantheon of games like it Mm -hmm. yeah totally so um i think this is a good time to jump into kind of final wrap-up thoughts before we get into plugs and housekeeping and spoiler time um so matt who would you recommend Bayonetta 3 to and um, any other kind of wrap-up thoughts? So I think I would still recommend this game to a Bayonetta fan. I say it with a huge grain of salt. I think you have to be patient. I think if you're someone who doesn't want to endure some frustration, you may not enjoy this. But I think ultimately, if you are a fan of the previous Bayonetta games, you will have fun with this game. I think Davis said it best. I'm a little on the lighter side of it, but you will have to suffer through a few things. But I think ultimately when you're playing as Bayonetta and even moments when you're playing as Viola and all the other like fun ride the demon stuff, you're going to have a blast with. The story is a little bit of a slog um, and and has ups and downs. And I think ultimately I recommend this to a Bayonetta fan or for different reasons, someone who's never played a Bayonetta game. I think the story is pretty contained in a way that like you may not understand all of the motivations, but like you can grok the story as much as anyone can because the stories are ridiculous. And if you've never played a Bayonetta game before, this isn't a bad place to start. I think just because you might not have any of the biases that we have. Um, ultimately, mm-hmm. of course, I would recommend two over any of them. It's still my favorite. Uh, but I, I, I don't recommend this for anyone who's looking for a perfect Bayonetta game because you won't find it here. <laughs> 
Like it's yeah. got flaws. And if you are a patient player, then you'll enjoy it. But if you're like a character action connoisseur and you're looking for the next great character action game, it's unfortunately not this one, which bums me out to say. Um, so yeah. So I, I think character action aficionados, no. Bayonetta fans, yes, give it a shot. It's still worth trying. Yeah. Um, I've been pretty harsh on this game. I don't recommend it to most people. I think that if you're a Bayonetta fan, play it. It's a Bayonetta game. There will be things for you to like. And like I said, um, the bread and butter, which is fighting as Bayonetta, is really fun. I had a good time with those things. Boss fights are over the top. They're ridiculous. They're fun. Um, Cutscenes, stuff like that. Very fun. For people who want to try a Bayonetta game, I don't recommend this because I think it's bloated with a bunch of stuff that's not fun. Um, So I would recommend probably Bayonetta 2, but Bayonetta 1's still a ton of fun too. Uh, 2 is also my favorite. Just feels a little bit better to me. But, you know, I can't really think of another like subset of people I would recommend this game to. I just don't think it's like that good overall. There are much better games to play within the Bayonetta series, within the character action genre. And I don't think that for an outsider, this game is giving anything special that would be like, no, you should play Bayonetta 3 for this unique experience because the unique experiences in this game, I said earlier that I hate, like the Jean stealth sections and stuff like that. So it's it's rough, but I I really don't recommend this for most people. Only Bayonetta fans pretty much boils down to that. Ooh, I don't like, I don't like saying that. I, I really wanted to like this game. Um, I know. I think we both did. Yeah. So, um, before getting into spoiler time, uh, we always have to do a little bit of housekeeping. So first things first, uh, Matt, one more time, other than I'll put links down in the show notes, of course. Um, so people don't have to try to remember social, <laughs> uh, you know, usernames or anything, but, um, one more time, remind people what you're doing and where they can find you. Sure. My pleasure. So, uh, the best place to find me, if it's still around by the time you hear this episode, is Twitter. Um, DJ underscore Stormageddon there. I'm actually DJ underscore Stormageddon in most places. Uh, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram. I am DJ Stormageddon on uh, Hive, which is one of the new social media apps. Who knows if that'll even still be around there. It's because they don't <laughs> allow underscores. Uh, but if you want to find everything that I'm doing, just go to djstormageddon.com. Uh, it's really easy to find. If you Google DJ Stormageddon, likely I will come up. Um, and that's where you can find all my podcasts. Um, Screen Snark, Reignite, Fun and Games, and CPOV Autographs. Like I said, I also produce and edit a bunch of shows, including Men of Steel and Another Pass, which are both CPOV uh, uh, podcasts as well. I'm also the, one of the freelance editors for or I am the freelance editor for the Game Informer show, which has been great and a lot of fun. Love uh, Alex Van Aken and the Game Informer crew. Um, yeah, and I don't know if you want to show me some love, you can buy. I have some really cool merch. I have T-shirts, mugs, all sorts of that really great stuff. But again, all of it's at djstormageddon.com. Go check that out. And if you come through, leave me a message or say hi. Hell yeah. Um, and another recommendation for me to, for people uh, listening to this show, at the very least, go check out Reignite if you like Mass Effect and uh, unnamed Bioware game possibly to come in the future. Um, and uh, check out Fun and Games. Uh, the side quest series are really good. They're very short, bite-sized. Uh, people just talking about why they love a game, which, you know, if you don't want to listen to that, what do you want to listen to? Um, and the Fun and Games show Um, I've really enjoyed you and Jeff have really good conversations between the two of you. And then um, your interviews are really great. I really loved your trombone champ. 
episode. Oh, that so was such great. a fun interview. Um, yeah. I love the, uh, the developer was a lot of fun there. So yeah. there's a good place to start. Everyone um, enjoyed uh, Trombone Champ this past year. So go listen to that episode, the uh, interview with the developer. It's a great place to start. Thank you. So um, talking about me now, uh, <laughs> For Her Tales from the Backlog, it's just regular podcast stuff. Same thing I say every episode. Um, join the Discord server. There are lots of cool people in there chatting. Um, we would love to have you. Um, consider supporting on Patreon if you would like to support monetarily. Uh, certainly no pressure, though. You'll get some cool stuff, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, as always, you know, ratings and reviews, very helpful for podcasts. Um, yes. Yeah. See, Matt knows. <laughs> oh, um, I know. Spread, <laughs> spread the good word. Uh, tell your friend that you found a, a gaming podcast you like, and then chase after them when they run away. Um, I also have another show called a top three podcast, which is top three lists each episode, mostly not about video games. So I promise I can talk about other stuff. Uh, Matt and I are going to take a break. When we come back, it's spoiler time for Bayonetta three. Matt and I are back and we're talking spoilers for Bayonetta 3 and we're going to kind of just talk about the main things from the story we're certainly not going to go beat by beat uh, through the story Uh, the story does not demand nor deserve it in my opinion Uh, but we are going to talk about the kind of things that happen uh, that would be considered spoilers so the main thing which I kind of hid in the main section the non-spoiler part is that you are not playing as the same Bayonetta in this game as you were in Bayonetta 1 and 2. Mostly because those Bayonettas come back later and you see them. Um, but it kind of became clear to me here as I was playing it and then doing my internet stuff. I got Bayonetta on the brain, so I'm looking at stuff. And then I see the haircuts are very, very different. The designs are different. Um, and that also may sort of explain why her character is different too, why she's not this ultra confident, cocky Bayonetta to the degree that I really liked about the old games. I thought that this might be a reason why. And, um, how do you feel about that? Like the, the idea that this is not my Bayonetta basically, or do you feel that way at all? I mean, it's interesting. I don't dislike this version of Bayonetta. Again, I think Jennifer Hill did a great job. I think it's interesting that in the multiverse story that at the end, the people who come to save you like Bayonetta is going to die again. It, it kind of starts to repeat the first scene again, beat yeah. for beat. And then the Bayonetta's from Bayonetta 1 and 2 come. And like, I don't know, those two stories seem so connected that to imagine that both of those are separate characters. Yeah. Or, but this is also metaverse, uh, you know, it's multiverse. It could be time and space. Like, it's hard to really know. Like, they could be being pulled from different points in time. Who knows? But it does seem to allude to the fact that this is actually not your bayonetta that bayonetta it's a different different person but the worlds are similar enough in the same way we've seen in other multiverse stories like uh, everything everywhere all at once which is my favorite multiverse story um hints at that a bunch and like 
you know, every universe is mostly the same with some minor differences. Some are majorly different. And like, I, I, I think it's a fun way to do that. Um, I think that we're finding out now, like, I think it had come out that Helena Taylor was never doing this whole game. She was going to do a cameo. My guess is she was going to do cameos, the first two Bayonettas, and do their voice. Right. And then that got scrapped when she turned out to be a liar and a terrible person. Who knows? Um, <laughs> she definitely supports anti-abortion charities. So, like, we, off my we know list, that. that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, I think it's an interesting idea. I think that it's a bummer that they're not the same Bayonetta just because I like this idea that she drastically changes her fashion every every like you know however many years if anyone who's followed me anywhere on the internet like my hair was purple then it was blonde and then I came out as non-binary like I relate to Bayonetta completely changing her entire look uh, between Mm -hmm. games but this seems to allude that they were different different people Uh, it's interesting I don't think it helps the story at all which is a bummer Um, but yes that could be why this Bayonetta acts so differently is because she had to fit this story which isn't necessarily the same stories which also may means that it doesn't hurt the previous stories that came before but I thought it was kind of cool that the story wrapped together I'm very complicated on this story because it just feels conv- convoluted at this point a little bit yeah it 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 feels and this is another kind of example of this where it feels like lazy metaverse multiverse writing yeah. where they say we can use the fact that it's a multiverse to make anything true. Yeah. We don't have to have the previous game support this. And this goes into the love story later in the game too, I think. But I always thought it was very clear that the Bayonettas were the same. Never once thought they were different versions of Bayonetta in one yeah. and two. And then, you know, maybe Hideki Kamiya could say, this was always my intent to have multiverse bayonettas. And I can't argue because he's the one who created the series. But to me, it sure feels like they were like, oh yeah, by the way, we want to have this cool moment where the bayonettas from one and two come. So they have to be separate people. Okay. They're separate people. And now they're coming in to help you in this last fight. And I thought that was a really cool moment, but I'm a huge sucker for things like that in movies. When it happened in star Wars episode nine, uh, I cried, even though I hate that movie. I'm just a sucker for these uh, moments. Yes. So that was cool. But it, this story starts to fall apart the second you put any critical kind of eye on it, I think. Yeah, and I agree. And you mentioned the the Bayonetta Luca story. So first of all, a lot of people like to say that it doesn't make sense for Bayonetta Luca to fall in love. They have no chemistry. And that's just not true. Bayonetta flicked with him through both games. Like there is chemistry between them. That's a load of crap. But- I've- I thought, real quick, I thought to me, I went through those first two games thinking that Bayonetta is enjoying the chase. She is enjoying being chased, but she is not. I never got the sense that she was super interested in Luca to me, but but go on. Yeah. But but like also, again, this is a separate Bayonetta. Maybe this Bayonetta has always loved Luca. We don't know. But like also there was a lot of – so – it's it's flagged very early that Viola is the daughter of Bayonetta and Luca. Like it's pretty obvious pretty early on. Yeah. Um, when you use the grappling hook, when she reacts to her, like so, I knew that that was coming, and that's fine. A lot of people took issue with this because a Bayonetta was considered a queer icon, clearly flirting with John in a lot of the games, as well as pretty much anyone, demons, people, didn't matter. Bayonetta mm-hmm. flirted with all of them. 
And a lot of people are like, well, now they made the relationship straight. And actually, a good friend of mine, uh, Ty Gallas Rowe, wrote an incredible article for um, The Gamer, with a Y, about mm-hmm. how there's that's a lot of erasure of other sexualities, pansexuality, bisexuality, by assuming a mask-presenting person and a femme-presenting person are automatically straight. And I speak from experience as a non-binary person who presents mostly very mask. Uh, in a relationship with someone, I'm married to a person who is non-binary who often presents femme and it's very easy to assume we're both straight and we are absolutely mm-hmm. not. I'm pansexual. They are bisexual. And so that was my biggest frustration is that people just leaped over the queerness to say, oh, it's a guy and a girl. They're straight, which is not the case. Um on top of that, though, the big problem with this love story, I feel like, is that it is out of nowhere and it is very much feels kind of schlocky, forced like the kind of thing you would see in a straight presenting romance in a cheesy movie or TV show. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of the bigger issues come from is not so much Bayonetta's sexuality being erased. It's that the writing is bad and kind of like, I do believe what I say that Luca and Bayonetta had chemistry, but it doesn't matter because those, according to the story, were different Bayonettas. So we have no idea what the history of Luca and Bayonetta are in this multiverse. Right. Yeah. And, um, I am, I, let me think of a way to say this. Um, I am straight cis male and I never got the feeling that they were erasing uh, any kind of like bisexual icon or, you know, anything like that with this story. It just felt like they were like, okay, well this version of Bayonetta and Luca fell in love and had a daughter, um, et cetera. There are many different versions of Bayonetta. And like you said, just because Bayonetta, fell in love and had a daughter with, um, Luca does not mean that anything that happened in the past is now wrong. Right. Like I said before, I always thought that Bayonetta was a very sexual character, but just not like romantic in any way. She's sexual and flirty towards everybody. Um, like you said, enemies included in the previous (laughs) games. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I, I feel like this seems like a, um, and I don't want this to sound as like accusatory as it might come off of, but it just sounds like people putting their own situation into media uh, a little bit. Well, yeah. And I think that the problem is also the queer community has been burned in the past past characters of course who are clearly not straight presented as straight or like my, my go-to is like uh, Tali from mass effect is not a straight character. That character is by at least, you know, same with, um, Oh, I'm going to blank on her name from Dragon Age Inquisition. But like these are these are characters that I thought were uh, Cassandra has like a practically a bowl cut woman. Woman is not straight. Uh, But like I think there's a lot of rightfully so worry of not getting enough representation or representation not being there at all. And so I get the outrage to a degree, but I think I agree with you. I think that the, the problem here is Bayonetta was always a character who was pretty sexually free, seemed to like kind of be kind of just open and kind of flirt with everyone and and didn't really seem like the settle down type doesn't mean that this version of Bayonetta can't be but they didn't really flag it more than her being extra concerned for Luca so a little background on Luca's story is Luca transforms into a monster in this game and you don't realize it's him at first you fight the monster first and then you realize Mm -hmm. something has corrupted him or happened to him and he's transforming into this creature and you have to save him change him and bayonetta shows extra concern when that finally 
gets revealed. And so you can sense that this Bayonetta feels something more for him. But it's not until that moment, maybe halfway through the game, that that happens that you know. And I think that's where the lazy writing comes in. This game, this game and the Bayonetta games love to do flashbacks in like these cool still image swipes with like graphics around them. They do it in mm-hmm. this game too with the other Bayonettas. They could have easily done something like that to set up this story. It still would have been ham-fisted, but it would have at least given us some background for these two specifically. And if they had a history and why they cared about each other so much, it just, it does feel very like they were shooing horning in as much as they could to then introduce some stuff that we're going to get to, to set up the future of the franchise. And it just feels haphazard at best. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, back to the, um, the, uh, the representation point that you made there, I, as you were talking, I, I thought, you know, another angle of this, why people would be upset that she ends up getting together with Luca in this game, um, is like you said, LGBTQ plus is traditionally underrepresented in all forms of media. And when you have a character that is, I think very clearly, um, at the very least by whatever to have that kind of ripped away. I can understand why people would be upset. Um, but I personally didn't, uh, have that experience, but like I said, I am a straight white cis male. So my opinion, uh, and what I think is not always the most, um, important, I would say <laughs> uh, when it comes to things like this. Fair. So, yeah. Um, but back to Luca. Yeah. Um, the, the problem I had with this story with Luca is that from the jump in this game, Everyone is like, we got to follow Luca. We got to follow Luca. We got to, we got to find Luca. And I'm like, why, why do we have to find Luca? Um, you said that Luca was important in the first game. That's fair enough. I didn't remember. Um, in the second game, Luca was just a, just kind of a, a pest following Bayonetta flirting and Bayonetta would have some fun flirting back, but ultimately swat him away because she, I thought very clearly was not interested yeah. And then this game is like, we got to follow Luca. And I'm like, why? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Luca's fun as a character. I enjoyed every time he made an appearance in the other games. I just never felt like he was a super important character. But then in this game, um, so this really felt to me, obviously, we find out that a version of Bayonetta and Luca got together and had a daughter. That's Viola. And this really felt to me like, this is a shoehorned in, um, I always loved you plot. Mm-hmm. And they wanted Bayonetta and Luca to eventually fall in love and have a daughter, but didn't know how to organically make that happen. So they were just like multiverse. Yeah. Another version of them did this and we don't have to do any of the groundwork to establish a relationship like that. We can just say the other versions of them fell in love, infinite yeah. possibilities, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I'd also like to point out that there are other ways of having children and that it didn't have to be Bayonetta and Luca to that. Bayonetta and Jean could have easily had a child. Artificial Mm -hmm. insemination exists as well as who knows what else because this is is fiction. It could have literally been anything. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like literally anything. And so not only is this fiction, this is Bayonetta. Nothing has to make sense. No. And so, yeah, it just feels like a, a lazy retcon that, Again, then gives Viola a bum rap because I don't think, again, I don't think she's personally a bad character. She's very cookie cutter, but like because they shoehorn her at the tail end of this story being connected to the two of them as parents, it just cuts her legs out from under her to begin with because she's 
she's reliant on these two other characters and their romance to ex- even exist. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, if you didn't get a feeling that she was Bayonetta's daughter by like the halfway point in the game, then you were just not paying attention at all. Even I found this, even I like caught onto this and I don't catch these things <laughs> ever. Um, it, it's very obvious that like, Maybe just the fact that I was playing this and I was like, this, you know, th- these games don't have as creative, as creative, uh, like writing chops as it would take to make Viola have like a super interesting origin story that's not involved with Bayonetta being her mom somehow. Yeah. Um, but I got that feeling and you're right. It is kind of, it, it does kind of paint Viola in a shitty light because she's connected to this story that I think is just really stupid and lazy. Yeah. Um, and it makes her seem bad by association. Whereas in reality, like you said, she's just kind of a a cookie cutter character, not super special, but I don't think she's like bad. She just unfortunately connected to this story that I think is bad. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And like, I know we're going to talk about the final chapter in a minute. And like, I think what that does really just kind of sets up the failure steamroll. And like, I think it's important to say, because we haven't really even mentioned this the whole episode, Bayonetta is a title. Her name is Teresa, but Bayonetta is her title as an Umbra Witch. And that's important to this story in a way that it has never been important before. And I think that's also part of the problem. Like, it's always been clear that her name is Teresa, but people call her Bayonetta because that's like her hunter name, that's her witch name, whatever it is. In that anyone can become Bayonetta. You can pass down that name. Her mom, Mm -hmm. assumedly, was also Bayonetta. But it becomes utterly important in this final chapter in a way that just felt also kind of shoehorned. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess the other thing with the Luca and Bayonetta thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way um, from my perspective is that I never got the feeling that Bayonetta would ever marry anyone and have children. She seemed like a very solitary, confident type of character. Like I never saw her as ever needing or desiring a relationship. Yeah. Which is why this was such a, to me, such a shocking in like a bad way type of thing. You know, there, there are many ways and we've gone through several of them that this is just a rough direction to take the story. I saw, I think it was Kotaku in their review um, use the phrase character assassination when referring to Bayonetta's character. Mm -hmm. And I kind of agree here. Like, this takes Bayonetta in a direction from being a a badass character to someone that like, if they make another Bayonetta game and it's like following these characters, I'm like, is this going to be fun? Like is Bayonetta's character still going to be fun or is it just going to be this kind of calm, you know, reserved? Am I even going to get to play as Bayonetta here? Like um, really made me, again, like I said, I'm not worried 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 like real life worried but for <laughs> as someone who enjoys these games a little bit worried yeah i mean i'll it, it actually reminds me of a lot of another m an infamous metroid game made by team ninja right, right. that made samus more submissive more reserved pretty mm-hmm. much nothing like samus had ever been famously also voiced by jennifer hale actually um <laughs> funnily enough and, like, I never played another M, but I've watched enough videos on it. I've watched gameplay of it. Like, I've watched Let's Plays of it. And it sucks. I don't think it's a particularly bad game mechanically. From what I can tell, it's just 
the story is the antithesis to who Samus is. And there is definitely a lot of that here. Now, again, mm -hmm. you can argue that if this is a different Bayonetta, then it technically doesn't matter, right? Because we could play as any Bayonetta in the next game. Like even something we haven't even talked about yet, and we'll go into more detail, assumedly Bayonetta's dead now, this Bayonetta, Ceresa, and yet right. that won't matter in a multiverse story because we could play as one of the other ones maybe. Like right. it just doesn't seem to really matter, but it does feel like they wanted to move on from Bayonetta, so they also kind of writ the, wrote the character into this corner. Yeah, so at the end of the game, um, this, this story with, if you're listening and you haven't played the story with singularity is it's basically nonsense. You chase singularity throughout the game and then you catch singularity at the end, you fight singularity. There's a boss rush. Um, it's pretty fun because bosses in Bayonetta are fun. Um, and then you have that moment where all the Bayonettas show up. Um, I thought it was cool. They show the old kind of UI from mm -hmm. the first Bayonetta game, a nice little touch there. Uh, when the original Bayonettas come in, uh, they fight. You finally get the absolute verification for everyone who needs it that Viola is their daughter. And then uh, the Bayonettas get dragged down to Inferno, um, leaving Viola behind. And this was supposed to be a moment that caused some emotion, but I had gone through six to eight hours of not feeling any sort of emotion toward this story. So this was a just total like, okay, that happened type of thing for me. I don't yeah, know about it's, you. It's so the, the Bayonettas all show up and then they disappear. And then as Bayonetta is dying, the, the Ceresa, she becomes this kind of like purple hollow shell, like Jean Jean did in the second game when Jean died and she had to go rescue her. Um, and while she's being dragged down to hell, Luca holds her and they get dragged down together and they talk about how they want to be together forever. They share a kiss. Like it's meant to be a very sweet moment. That's not really. And then they leave Viola behind very upset. Um, and then like then the credits roll. And we have an incredible credit sequence where Bandit <laughs> is dancing, which is always great. There's a there's a second credit sequence where she's pole dancing, which is also always great and in every game. Mm -hmm. But between that, when the, after the credits finish rolling, we're suddenly playing as Viola again, and we fight a shadow version of Bayonetta that turns into this the squid monster from earlier in the game, and you fight her, you beat her, and then um, she like says it's time that you have your true name, and like whispers something, and this is like the title transfer over, and then it like smash cuts to um, Rodan and Enzo now helping. Viola, who's wearing Bayonetta's glasses, and it's like right. there's a gag about, oh, I should I call you by your family name, Bayonetta. And like yeah. it's meant to be this big moment where you realize that Viola is the new Bayonetta, like Ceresa was before, but there's no game that backs up this impact. Like, I want to be excited for that because I like Viola, but the rest of the game didn't lead to this moment. Yeah. And it just feels, again, so lazy as like, we don't want to have Bayonetta anymore. We've moved on from that actress, so we want to move on from the character altogether. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just, I'm assuming here. But regardless of which, like, I again, this makes me so upset because I think Viola starring in her own character action game could be fun as this bumbling character because those can be fun too. Mm -hmm. But not as the daughter of Bayonetta, of Ceresa. It just feels very lazy and then like this gives you the sense that the next game 
because uh, Viola talks about going on missions that you're going to play as Viola while still interacting with Rodan and, 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 and John is also gone because she died in that big battle. Like it's just, it, it all feels kind of like directionless. Yeah. It, so I think it's pretty clear that the next game you're at least going to be playing as Viola for a big part of it. Uh, whether or not it's the whole thing and there's no more Cereza, no more Bayonetta as we knew her, I'm not sure about that. But what I am sure of is that I will be watching that game and if it comes out that you're playing as Viola the entire time, I'm not going to play it because I'm not really interested in her as a character. I don't think she is a fraction of the entertainment value that Bayonetta is as a character, which is like, I'm playing these games for fun combat that I'm going to button my button mash my way through. So I'm playing for that. I'm playing for this insane over the top spectacle, but I'm also playing because I liked Bayonetta as a character. I like how sarcastic and, you know, cocky she was. It's like really entertaining to me. And I got none of that from Viola. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know when this happened and it was like that passing of the torch moment. I was like, Oh, ah, that's, not where I was hoping this was going. You know, if you want to have a game where the two of them, mother and daughter, are going out fighting together, cool. What I'll play that, but like, please, I don't want to play an entire game as Viola. That's from a character perspective and from a gameplay perspective, her gameplay was just a lot less fun for me in this. And yeah, uh, but all that being said, I... So I was watching these cutscenes. I actually wrote this in the notes. I was watching these cutscenes, and then immediately after, you get another dance number, um, and that's like classic Bayonetta. So we have like this weird tone clash of like we're trying to do this serious like passing of the torch moment. Cut to the credits. Um, dance number. Everyone's dancing. There's a fucking kick line and shit. And then um, this happened a couple times after the ending where Bayonetta and Luca get dragged down to hell together immediately after that dance numbers in the credits. And it's almost like Kamiya is saying to me, Dave, don't take this too seriously. This is Bayonetta. Remember, like this is all bullshit. This is all good fun. But those very weird uh, clash of tones there um, at the end, especially. I agree. And like the dance number at the end is impressive, right? It's mocap. It's all the bayonettas. It's Jean. It's Viola. It's even fun. Dancing. It's great. I love it's, it. It's incredible. <laughs> but it just feels so out of place. The credits often do. Like every credits for the Bayonetta games have had a pole dance as Bayonetta, has had Bayonetta dancing. Bayonetta dances a lot. It's The mocap mm-hmm. has always been very impressive. I assume it's mocap anyway for the dance moves. Um, she dances when she casts her spells, when she summons demons. Like that's always been a part of the character. But yeah, I agree. It's like we have this serious passing the torch moment where it's clear that Viola is the new Bayonetta. And then we get this dance scene. It's just, yeah, I, it's a bummer. I, I, <laughs> I, when I first finished it, I was like, that was fine. I didn't mind it. And I remember us talking a little. But as I've gotten further from it, I'm like, it's, it's fine. But I actually wrote a little inside baseball. I wrote Dave and I was like, can I please come back on the show and talk about a game we loved, please? Yeah. Any game, <laughs> yeah. Literally 100%. any game. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, and truthfully, when, when Dave first asked me to be on the show, I picked this game because it was something coming up that we both wanted. We wanted to pick something that was coming out that we were both excited for. And I mentioned mm-hmm. Bayonetta 3 and he's like, oh yeah, I love those games. Yeah, let's do that one. 
And like the the voice actor nonsense should have been the first sign. And I say nonsense not because it's not important. The conversation was important. There was a lot of important conversations that were had. It was just a lot of a lot of nothing over two days that ended up being oh someone's being ridiculous and is a bad person. Like yeah, it's she she what it what it all amounted to is she put on a clinic and how to completely tank your reputation in forty eight hours basically. Yeah. <laughs> and and like that should have been a warning sign that maybe we should have picked a different game. But we're like, well, now that that drama's subsided, let's play this game that we that we love in this franchise. And it should have been a warning sign because ultimately I came away from it being pretty sour. And like I own th- all three games now on the Switch digitally. And like I kind of want to replay the first two, but not if it's going to end with the third. Now, who knows? Maybe the fourth one could save it, right the ship. Mm-hmm. You know, Devil May Cry, like I said, the second one was famously awful and the third one was a prequel. And then the fourth one, you were a different character. So, like, it had bumps in the road. And yet five is still agreed to be one of the best character action games to ever come out. So, like, it's not impossible. But this does does just leave this weird taste in my mouth because of how haphazard the story was and some of the gameplay segments were. Yeah, it's really just, like, the things that I could tell that they were focusing on in this game... You know, they wanted to tell a story that had some emotional weight to it. They wanted to add a lot more exploration into the levels. They wanted to add more things to mix up the gameplay. And I came out very negative on all of those things. The only things I really liked about this game were the things that were carried over from Bayonetta 1 and 2. And so kind of like you said, as I get further and further from this game, my opinion of it gets lower and lower. It gets worse as time goes by which is the opposite of some of the games that I've had on the show recently that I didn't like a ton when I was playing, but they get better in my memory as I start to forget little frustrations and stuff. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 was the most recent one like that. Right. But yeah, it's it's just uh it's it was I come out of this feeling like this is a really baffling decision by them. I mean, I get maybe they want to be a bit more creative with all aspects of the game. And I applaud attempts at creativity and innovation. It just didn't work in this game for me personally, for you too, to some extent. And it's a, it's a bummer. Cause I, when I invited you on to talk about Bayonetta three, I thought we were going to do a big love fest yeah. uh, because that's what Bayonetta two would have been. That's what Bayonetta one would have been on the show. So just a bummer. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, and I think like, there's nothing wrong with trying to innovate and try to change, right? Like I mentioned it earlier in the show, and I've mentioned it a lot in other places because I truly do think it's a step in the right direction. But I loved the hell out of Sonic Frontiers. And I'm a longtime Sonic fan. And like it was not a perfect game. But that open world exploration, it felt like Breath of the Wild. Not in quality to the same degree, but like I was excited to explore an open world. And yeah. so like, which we had never had in a Sonic game on that level before. And so that kind of innovation, it's like this was not necessarily the best next step, but it was a step in the right direction. The next game, if they stay with this format, will be great. And games often do that, right? They have to stumble to improve. Think about Zelda 2, Castlevania 2, and how they tried new things. And they didn't all work, but some of that stuff did carry over and lead us into things that would be promised to be some of the best games ever made. Mm-hmm. And this isn't that. The experiments that they make are either bad, like the Jean stuff, or inconsequential, like the the kaiju fights and the ride the beasts. Like Bayonetta has always had stuff like that. And then the the completely different fighting style with Viola, 
I think, again, isn't necessarily bad. It was not fun, but it was also poorly implemented. They don't, like, they give you, like, these swipe screens on how to play as her, but, like, the the dodging specifically, which is so integral to the combat of this game, is so mm-hmm. different because you your dodge is useless. It, you have to block. Is just, and counter, sort of, is just so the antithesis to the Bayonetta playstyle that it it doesn't work in this game unless you really give a larger runway for it, which they absolutely did not. Yep. Yep. I thought that this game was going to be a slam dunk um, and it was not. Um, So you're right. If they kind of reassess at Platinum and kind of come back for Bayonetta 4 or uh, Viola, whatever that game is called, and they learn from things that like, I don't even want to say they learned from bad reception because this game got great reviews. This, when it came out, it got like incredible reviews. Everyone that I, you know, get reviews from that I kind of, my tastes align with loved this game. And I started playing it, talking with some people in the discord. And we were all like, I don't understand. How is this game getting 10 out of 10s? I I don't get it. Um, So I don't know that there's going to be a lot of critical pushback for them to learn from um, yeah. unless they're getting feedback from players in another way uh for the next game and maybe they have an internal evaluation process where they're going to look back and say like we can tune up the platforming and make it more interesting we can make it a more linear game again that's that's perfectly fine with me but my hopes are not high for the next one me neither i will probably play it in the same way that i always I I often, if something leaves a bad test in my mouth, but the majority of the franchise is something I like, a la mm-hmm. Sonic I mentioned before, I will always try the new latest thing. Um, films that way too, right? If I didn't like the previous film, but I like the previous two films in the same franchise, I will still give the next one a try. Um, yeah. And so I can say that if they make a Bayonetta 4 with Viola, I will play it. Will I be happy about it? Hard to say. But like, <laughs> I likely would still play it. But I'm not optimistic about the quality of it after this was such a miss. I think the the reason a lot of people reviewed it well is because the Bayonetta stuff is still the same. It's still great. And if you mm-hmm. just focus on that and you don't play these games for the story, you know what it is? If you are the person who chases the scores, this is still going to be a great game for you. I should have said that before. That's true, yeah. Because that's mostly the same, and people who chase scores will learn how to play viola. They will work it out. But I think for people who come to these games for the story or for the interesting quirks or the other unique stuff or just yeah. only playing as Bayonetta, you're going to you're gonna hit a wall in a way that I don't know that they will write in the next game necessarily. Yeah, and I suspect the people that go from verse to verse repeating and trying to get pure platinum medals, um, I suspect that they are going to skip all of that platforming and puzzle challenges and stuff yeah. and have a good time. Um, and... Uh, maybe I should have said this earlier, like, and maybe I did, it's been a while now, but like, I didn't have fun during the, during the viola sections for like at least the first half of the game. But I, I, I still trust platinum games that there is mechanical depth in there. Cause like, if there's anything that platinum games is good at, it's that one singular thing. And despite all the other things that I don't like about this game, I'm still very confident that the pure platinum chasers, um, the uh, nonstop infinite climax uh, level players um, <laughs> will probably have fun mastering Viola's stuff because that is that is what Platinum Games does best. And I have no reason to think they lost that. It's just like literally everything else. 
So, yeah. um, Matt, this has been fun, man. Um, this is, uh, it turned into an episode where we didn't, um, always have the best things to say about the game, but this has been a really great conversation. Um, I appreciate you taking two hours uh, out of your time to talk about Bayonetta three with me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Like I said, I'm a big fan of the show. I feel like we're kindred spirits and personality. I mean, mm. you you joined the CPOV Discord and started uh, stoking conversation and engaging with stuff, which I love because it's my favorite thing is engagement. I'm a podcaster. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but no, I think that we we align in a lot of ways. Um, you know, what the kinds of games we like, the, what we love about video games as a core, our, our mm-hmm. methodology as podcasters. And so I once I, I got a sense of that, I was really excited to come on the show. I am still leaning into that. I want to come back for a game we both love because... Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I, I've listened to many an episode where you get to do that, and that's definitely more fun. Um, but I think mm-hmm. we had a lot to talk about, and I think that's what made me excited to still talk about this game, even being disappointed about it, that beso- between the... V- drama the 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 sexuality conversation the why we didn't like certain stuff there was a lot to chew on and i think it was a great conversation so thank you for having me be a part of it 100 percent. and uh for everyone listening thank you very much for sticking it out till the end with us um another recommendation to check out all of matt's podcasts uh fun and games reignite cpov autographs and screen snark uh, I almost remembered all of them from memory. Uh, <laughs> okay. I had to scroll up to get the last one. Um, but uh, again, if you're listening to this show, I guarantee you, you will find something to like in fun and games and reignite the video games podcasts. So um, again, thank you for listening and tune in next week for the next game that comes out of the backlog.